Are you a mom launching kids into adulthood? If so, you need to know about my Empty Nest Mom Retreat. It is the gathering for moms who have at least one child over the age of 18 or who have launched them all and have a full empty nest. September 27th through the 29th are the dates, and Cedar Lake Retreat Center in Cedar Lake, Indiana is the place. You can fly into Chicago airports and drive to Cedar Lake in a little over an hour. Come join me. Best value registration is available through May 27th, and space is limited to just 100 moms, so don't delay. Check out jillsavage.org slash retreat to register today. All of us are doing our very best to live our lives the best we can. And so it's really nice to cut each other some slack when, oh gosh, you're not tuned in to me because guess what? It's not all about me. And there's a saying that I have that um, people do what they do for their own reasons and it rarely has anything to do with me. Welcome to the No More Perfect Podcast, where we talk about the messy, less than perfect, but real stuff of life. My name's Jill Savage, and I'll be your host. I'm so glad you're here. Well, hello, friends, and welcome back to the No More Perfect Podcast. You know, here on the podcast, one of my favorite topics to talk about is relationships. You know, we are designed to be in relationships. We do life in relationship with others. And really, it's the way that God designed it. it. It's the way that Jesus led his life. I mean, he was in relationship with others around him. But here's the deal. Sometimes relationships are one of the most challenging parts of life. (laughs) You know, navigating relationships is a huge part of work, of church, of school, neighborhoods, and certainly at home. But there is always the opportunity to grow when it comes to relationships. So we can't control others, but we can personally grow to improve our relationships. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So helping me explore this is author, speaker, and coach Peggy Sue Wells. Peggy Sue is a best-selling author of 30 books translated into eight languages. And like me, she has a passion for helping people improve relationships. So welcome to the No More Perfect podcast, Peggy Sue. Thank you, Jill. It's so good to spend some time with you. Oh, it's good to have you. Now, uh, where are you visiting with me from? Where do you live? I I live in a little artsy town uh, in Indiana, so surrounded by corn and wheat and soybeans. And for um, a little bit of variety, we've started doing sunflowers in the fields around us. Oh, how fun. I grew my first sunflowers this summer and I had never grown any. Oh my goodness. Yes. Now I'm trying to figure out exactly how I harvest the sunflower seeds. Haven't figured that out. I've watched a couple YouTube videos, so I'm getting there, but (laughs) that's so fun. So Peggy Sue, I hear that you have parasailed, you have skydived, you've snorkeled, you've scuba dived, and you have taken but not passed pilot's training. It sounds like to me that you like a good adrenaline rush. 
I do like some adventure. I had somebody recently ask, have you always been an adventurous person? And I'm like, honey, anybody who has seven kids is an adventurous person. (laughs) And I can't, and I cannot pass that pilot test because it has to do with math and I can write and I can read, but I just really am bad at math. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So what did you want to do with that pilot test? I mean, you want to just have your own plane? Well, again, with the seven kids, it's like, well, we could just rent a plane and get someplace. It would be a lot easier than having to always book a plane. (laughs) Uh, It probably would be a little bit easier. That's for sure. So you are a single mom of seven. And um, I'm thinking with seven kids, uh, you know a bit about relationships. But where I want to start our conversation is really for everyone, not just for single moms, uh, because you say that there are five R's that destroy relationships. And I really want to talk about those so that we better understand them and, and we can pay attention to where it is that we're contributing to those R's. Would you be okay with that? I would love to talk about that. And perhaps you've even experienced events where the family gets together, gather around the holiday table, then emotionally abuse one another and then have pie. Yes, as I I can see how there are some family units that have definitely experienced that. And Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, as far as depends on you, live at peace with one another. And so my initial response to that was, well, I'm clearly doing my part, God. It's all those other people that are like contributing to the problem. And then I really went before the Lord and it's like the one common denominator in any irregularities between me and family members, me and coworkers, me and my neighbors, me and my church is that I'm the common denominator. And so I had to come back and say, okay, God, show me what's happening because we're getting really, really good as families, coworkers, and fellow inhabitants of planet Earth to being able to have situations where we escalate tension between our neighbors and people that we love, even though we think we're doing our best. So I brought it back to me. I'm like, okay, God, show me what's going on. And the root of the conflict that I found is that we've become really good at the five R's. So let me tell you a story that'll show you exactly what the five R's look like. So one Saturday, one Saturday morning, my daughter, my teenage daughter gets up and she's grousing around the house. So I do the mom thing and I made her tea and I told some jokes and made her favorite pancakes and she didn't drink my tea and she didn't laugh at my jokes and she just pushed that pancake around on her plate. And so I'm feeling very rejected. And in that rejection, I then start feeling resentful about feeling rejected. And so I think in my head, the reason that she's grousing around the house is because I stink as a mom. She'd rather be anywhere else on Saturday morning than stuck here with me. And so I thought, okay, now I'm feeling rejected. From being rejected, I moved into resentment. So there's the first two R's, rejection, then resentment. Then I thought, well, fine. If you're not going to look at me, I won't look at you. If you're not going to talk to me, I'm not going to talk to you. So if you've ever given or received the silent treatment, that is resistance. So now I've moved into resistance. So we sit quietly Mm. at the table, not looking at one another, not talking to one another. And that's just feeling pretty like hard on my heart. And so then I think, well, 
I'm really hurting here and she should know that I'm hurting. So how will I let her know that? Well, I'll send out a barb that kind of hurts her heart because that's really mature and she'll get it. And so <laughs> my thought to, at that point would have been to say, so have you checked your room lately? When are you going to clean that up? How are you doing on your homework? Are you keeping those grades above C level? And so that would have been what we call revenge. That's where I'm sending out a barb to her and she's going to feel that attack and she's going to naturally backpedal away from the things that mom is saying because they're hurtful. And so then I would go back into feeling rejected because rather than her moving towards me, she will have moved away from me. So now we're into repeat. So those are the five R's. Mm. It starts with, I feel rejected. I don't like being rejected. So I move into feeling resentful. And then resentful leads to resistance. Resistance leads to revenge. And revenge leads to repeat which is how we wind up at those family holidays where we just play these roles. I mean, think about the aunt that is always, you know, unhappy with somebody at the family gathering. What about the sibling who always pouts to get their way? We just fall into these roles and it becomes expected and accepted. And then we just have these very difficult relationships until finally someone has had too much five R's and they just drift away because it's too painful. And so that's where I realized, okay, I'm in the five R's. What do I have to do to get out of the five R's and to start recognizing them? And then what's the solution? Mm. Oh, this is so good. And yes, I mean, you see this in extended family relationships. You see this in friendships. You see this, you know, as you're, as you're talking through it, I'm thinking, marriages. Oh my goodness. Marriages play this out, you know, over and over again. And so, yes, we need to learn to see ourselves in it and then we need to know what to do. So let's talk about that. How do we begin to see ourselves in it? That particular Saturday morning, because I had been asking God to show me these things, by the time I got to the revenge part where I was thinking about saying one of those jabs about her homework or how clean her room was not. At that moment, I'm like, oh, I'm in the five R's. Okay. So then I knew in that moment to get out of it. And so I said to Hannah, honey, the story I'm making up in my head right now is that I stink as a mom and you'd rather be anywhere else this morning than stuck home with me. And she kind of, as you can imagine, blinked and looked up almost as if she was coming back into the present. And she said, Mom, I just found out the little boy I babysit has leukemia. <gasps> right? Mm. It had nothing to do with me whatsoever. And that's where I learned to go back and go, oh, okay. So at the beginning of the resentment thing, when I'm feeling rejected, the reason I become feeling rejected nine times out of 10 is because I made up a story in my head about a particular fact. Had I stuck to the mm. facts of, oh, my teenager is grousing around the house today, it would have been okay and move forward. There would have been no five R's. And so this has become so key in my relationship with my, my children that my, and they're all adults now, but my grown kids now will say to me, mom, what's the facts? So for instance, my youngest just got married mm -hmm. a little while ago. So 
I don't know of anything that brings out more drama than a wedding. And so as we're preparing for this wedding, we're having the shower and, you know, one girl's planning this, one's planning that, the sisters all get together, they all have their role. And somebody said to me about my friends that were invited, hey, mom, is so-and-so coming? And I said, well, I don't know. I sent out an invitation. I've called twice. I haven't heard. I, I don't know if they're coming. Now, you can hear in my voice that I'm already into rejection. And so my daughter then says, hey, mom, what's the facts? And I was like, oh, yeah, the facts. The facts are I've called twice and haven't heard back. I'll call again. (laughs) It changes (laughs) everything because we don't realize what great storytellers we are in our heads. And when I make up a story (laughs) about how somebody treated me or what I interpreted that to that action to have been, that story I make up in my head becomes my reality. And then that's how I act toward you from then on thinking that you're ignoring me on a Saturday morning when in truth, you've got your mind occupied by something else that has nothing to do with me. So that's the Mm. first R is knowing when you feel rejected, go back and say, what were the facts? And then stick to the facts. And nine times out of 10, we don't even go down the road of the other R's from there. Mm. Yeah. But what what happens though, when our, um, like, when we have trouble sorting out the facts from the story, because I think some of us are such good storytellers in our head that we have trouble figuring out what the facts really are because we've convinced ourselves of the story that's in our mind. Right. So I don't know if that makes us good storytellers or bad storytellers. <laughs> right. Yes. But but we do. And so uh, do you have any tips for uh, untangling yourself from that story so that you really can look at the facts? When I feel rejected, when I'm feeling that I'm hurt, I've got a distance from you, that's when I need to go back and look at the facts. I have to go, and I generally have to just write it down and it has to be the simplest possible way. For instance, like with, um, a situation where one of my kids is involved in some big deal in the community. Okay. And I wasn't told about it. And so I immediately went into the whole, Oh, I feel rejected. They're having a whole life separate from me. They don't need me. Um, they want to keep their, their life, you know, not connected to me as their mom. See the story I went down and, I had to go back and stop and go, what are the facts? The facts are my kids are involved in something in the community. Oh, well, that means they're good adults. They are involved. They're participating. They're in a community. Do they have to tell their mother anything? No, they're adults. Once you're an adult, you don't owe your mom anything. It's nice if you want to come around and call once in a while and show up for the holidays, but you (laughs) owe me nothing. And so then I have to go back and remember there was an event where I was not recognized at an event and it was a crushing blow at that moment. And so I thought, hmm, what do I do with this? And I had to think, well, the fact is, There was something that should have happened as far as recognition that didn't happen. And do I know why? No. Is this my event? No. Is it their event? Yes. Do I have any idea what was going on or what pressures or what made them decide to do this? No. Will this still hurt in five years? I don't know. 
So now my, my choice is, am I going to pout and ruin this event or am I going to be like, mm-hmm. huh, let's have a good time and dance, you know? And if it hurts five years yeah. from now, it hurts five years from now, but I have to make a choice. And I didn't know, and I may never know the answer to that particular thing. I just had to go back to the questions of what is the facts. Well, I even wonder if we add in this very well might not be me about me. Like this very well might not be about me. What are the facts? Like I'm making it about me, but it may not be about me at all. Yep. Right. And so then that kind of separates us from those feelings that because that story has made it about me. So then to be able to go this, this very likely may not be about me at all. So then what are the facts? In fact, nine times out of 10, nine times out of 10, it's not about us because think about it. Right. When you went through your day to day and you passed somebody at the store or were walking down the hall at church or whatever, and you didn't acknowledge someone, did it have anything to do with that person? No, it's because you're thinking about this and you're thinking about your grocery list and the birthday that you forgot last week and that your you know loved one isn't feeling well. And you have all these other thoughts in your head. And so I have to go back to and remember that... All of us are doing our very best to live our lives the Mm -hmm. best we can. And so it's really nice to cut each other some slack when, oh gosh, you're not tuned into me because guess what? It's not all about me. And there's a saying that I have that um, people do what they do for their own reasons and it rarely has anything to do with me. Which is right back mm, to what good. you were saying is like, you know, is this really about me? Nope. Nope. It really yep. probably isn't. Yep. Yeah. Oh, so healthy. We would have so much healthier marriages. We would have so much healthier parenting relationships. We would have so much healthier friendships if we can grab hold of that message and really begin to practice it. And to also remember that there are going to be some people that do on purpose do unkind things to hurt me. Anybody who's gone through the breakup of a serious relationship, the breakup of a business, the break of a contract, there are times where someone is doing something on purpose to hurt me or to hurt you. And so in those instances, I've learned to say, well, that is them being them again, because that's where they are. They're, they are lashing out. It's going to happen, but do I need to take it personally? No, it's, this is Mm -hmm. because of a story at that point. Yes. Yes. And so if we can really grab hold of that, then it stops the rejection. And if we stop the rejection, we don't end up going through the rest of the R's, right? Don't hit the other R's. And also, sometimes we don't realize that that arrow that came that I grabbed hold of and stuck it into my breast and made a story up about it, um, I don't realize that I've done that until I get further down. And so I've started finding what I call road signs. So if I'm feeling rejected Mm -hmm. and hurt, then I need to go back to the facts. If I have gotten to the place where now I'm in resentment, I'm going to, you know, you're going to notice that because it's going to come out of my my mouth. You're going to hear it in my vocabulary. I'll be saying things like, well, he needs to, well, she should, well, I'm not perfect, but they, 
And so it's this victim mentality and it's me putting blame on someone else. And so I hear it in my vocabulary. And so when I hear that coming out of my mouth, it's like, oh, I am now in resentment. I've moved from rejection into resentment. What do I do about that? And so then it's a quick switch to moving into gratitude. So for instance, I'm thankful that my daughter is here with me this Saturday morning. You know, I understand she's grousing around, but it's nice that she's here. I'm glad I have a relationship with her. I understand my kids maybe didn't let me know about that thing that I would have liked to have known just for fun because I'm a mom, but I'm so grateful that they are adults, that they're involved in their community, that they're participating, that they are personally responsible adults. You know, that's a good thing. And Mm -hmm. then also... Well, you know, I wasn't recognized at this event, but I am so thankful I got invited. I'm here to be here to see this and to be part of it. I'm grateful for that. So it's shifting from the need to, should, I'm not perfect, but into what am I grateful for? So that's how we get out of the resentment. Then, Yes. When I notice that I'm in resistance because I am not making eye contact, I'm not talking, I'm avoiding someone in my life, then I'm in resistance. Mm-hmm. And so the the solution to that is to engage. And that's really good for me at that point to say to that person, such as I did to Hannah, Hannah, the story I'm making up in my head right now is such and such. So we can get clear, but I'm re-engaged with her. I'm having a conversation rather than the silent treatment So any sort of making eye contact, having a conversation, approach that person, be with them. And pretty soon the other stuff will start to, you'll you'll realize it wasn't about you, um, but you can start engaging, which is the opposite of pulling away. Because the more we pull away, the more we don't ever get that relationship back together again. Somebody said it is a lot easier to have a 45 minute uncomfortable conversation that may even lead to three months worth of trying to iron things and work things and mesh it together as a relationship, then to go Mm -hmm. into resistance. And then that relationship separates and it never gets back together again. Mm -hmm. Yes, I can totally see that. And you know, when we um, minister to marriages, we call um, those times when our hearts get pulled apart, just one little quarter inch at a time, we call those slow fades. And And that is really what you're talking about. Like we have a slow fate of defensiveness and a slow fate of disagreement. And you're really kind of talking about what a slow fade might look like in any relationship um, when we sit in that place of resistance, we are in essence disengaging, right? We're yes. disengaging from the relationship and it's not helping and it's pulling our hearts apart. Yeah. And a relationship, you know, why does God put us in marriage? Why does God put us in families? Why does he put us in communities? It's not so that we get along and, and love on each other. A lot of times it's so that we knock those rough edges off one another. We learn from each other. The, the person that I'm having the, some of the toughest problems with is generally the one that God is teaching me something about God through that relationship. And so it's like lean in more. It doesn't ever mean that you take bad treatment from someone, but it also doesn't mean that we always distance. That's sometimes we need to, sometimes that's safety, 
But a lot of times it's like, what am I to learn here? And that's where we go on our face before the Lord. What are you teaching me here? What do I need to see? What do I need to learn? And so when we go back from the the five R's, so we've gone through how to get out of rejection, out of resentment, out of resistance. The next one is revenge. And when I feel myself going into revenge like I was with my daughter, then I'm going to be doing something unkind to her. The words that come out of my mouth are going to be stilettos. And I notice this particularly with women. When we see women that speak nasty to someone or about someone, I'm realizing there is an unhealed hurt in her life that it comes out through Mm. our mouths in these stiletto comments. Yes. So what I figured out with the revenge thing is that I need to give. I need to give a gift, give a gift of engagement, give a gift of like I did with Hannah with, I'm going to make her tea. I'm going to make her her favorite pancakes. I will give a gift to that person that I'm feeling that distance from and that I really like to just kind of lash back out at. Now, there are times where the person that I'm in revenge with is not a safe person for me to be engaged with. So there are Mm -hmm. those situations. But that means that I need to find another place to give, another place to be generous to. And God will show us that. But if I don't keep interacting with generosity of giving to others, then that revenge state will make me into a bitter person. And I've been there where I can walk into a room and suck all the good air right out of it immediately. (laughs) It's not a good time. Nobody likes it. Yes. No, you're exactly right. Nobody likes it. And you don't like it. You don't like yourself in that. And you know what it reminds me of is you were just uh, sharing about that is, you know, in Romans 8, verse 5, it says, um, it it talks about verses 5 and 6, it talks about, are we walking in the flesh or are we walking in the spirit? And You're really identifying some things like, okay, when we're in revenge, we're walking in the flesh. Like, this is what I want to do. But you're saying the opposite is to give. And, and so that would be how God would want us to respond. So he would want us to be more of a servant, um, and, and to be more generous. So you're kind of talking about, recognizing when we're in the flesh and then changing that to being in the spirit. And with the understanding that my being in the flesh makes sense to me and my being in the spirit, a lot of times doesn't make sense. That's why we see people that have been hurt, but they give. And we see people that have been hurt, but they forgive. And those are because that's moving in the spirit. It doesn't make sense on a human scale, But on a spiritual one, it makes all the sense in the world and it changes us for the better. It does. It does. When we can resist where we want to go and instead do things God's way, it you're right. Our relationships are better. We're in a better place. Our heart is in a better place. And it's not what we feel like doing. Like that's the thing. You're ours. All of these R's are are emotion-based. And so they are what we feel like doing in that moment, but they're not going to serve us well. And so what we've got to learn how to do is to move from letting our emotions be the leader and to letting God be the leader. 
And the repeat part that comes in is what you said. It's the emotion that's all built up until I'm behaving a certain way or aunt so-and-so always behaves a certain way or cousin what's-his-name always, you know, pouts or does this or somehow to manipulate is based out of that emotion. And so how do we not go into repeat? And the way that I found to not be in repeat is to not be expecting or demanding particular behavior or actions from another person. So for instance, Mm. I don't want somebody expecting something out of me. If somebody's expecting that I'm always going to be this or I'm going to be that for them, I will let them down, not on purpose. I'm not going to let someone down on purpose, but I will let them down because I don't know what your expectations are. And because my life is not to be lived according to your expectations, my life is to be lived according to where God and his Holy Spirit is guiding me. And so by Mm -hmm. letting people off the hook so that I don't expect that so-and-so has to be here for this, has to do this, has to whatever, I can let them off the hook and just say, you be who you are. I will, you know, I will accept who you are without having these demands, these expectations, these, it's really demanding that another person fit inside my box of behavior according to what makes me happy. And again, we have to let each other off the hook for that because we don't want to be held to that. And it's not fair for us to hold someone else to it. So by releasing others from our own expectations of them, then everything can just happen a lot more naturally. And you get to know who people are when they're really them. And we get to then, like you said, listen to what the Holy Spirit is telling me and how I interact with those people. And you brought up this really good point about this all being emotions. And so I remember thinking, well, you know, I've got the good emotions and the bad emotions, you know, the, the despondency and the disappointment and all that. I don't like those emotions. I love the joy and the, and the, you know, the happiness and the anticipation, but I can't yeah. shut off the negative ones without shutting off the non-negative ones because they're like a bunch of grapes. And so if I shut off one half, I lose it all. And then I'm this little robot walking around, which is no fun to be with. And right. I met with a mentor and she said, well, who made all your emotions? I'm like, okay, well, maybe God did. <laughs> she said, well, <laughs> yeah, she's like, so show me that place in scripture where it says God makes anything that's bad. And I'm like, oh, he doesn't. So then does that mean that my negative emotions have some value? And it's like, holy cow, they totally do. So even going through these five R's, when I come up against a negative hurt, a pain, an expectation that wasn't met, it's like, oh, Mm -hmm. there's something valuable here. And so the value in that is I can then look at that emotion and say, something happened to my heart. And it's like taking Mm. a temperature gauge. Something happened to my heart. Okay, I can recognize that. I can take it to the Lord. I can say, will you take this? I'm giving it to you. And, you know, please fill me with something of you and not of this stuff that is toxic that I'm carrying around. So learning how to take our emotions in and look at them as they don't control me, but they tell me something about where I am, how I am, what I need from the Lord, what I need to take to him, where my heart condition is at this moment. Yes. And the our emotions were God-given, just like your friend reminded you of. And they are, they're like a red flag, right? They're like a red flag going, hey, something's off. And so we don't want to ignore them. We want to value them. 
We just don't want them to be calling the shots. Well, that's why we need to be in God's word. That's why we need to know how to do things his way. And, and so that, that he's calling the shots, our emotions aren't calling the shots. Yeah. And I think in parenting, one of the things that we teach our kids and in the turn, hopefully I'm learning it too, is that I can have emotions and they don't control me. And so we need to definitely have them and be able to contain them so that, again, mm-hmm. anger is not a bad emotion. Anger is that extra adrenaline to right a wrong, but it's knowing like, okay, I can recognize what this emotion is. I can contain it. I can have it and I can still move forward and live healthy. Yes. Yes. So much of healthy relationships is us learning to examine what's going on inside of us, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's really self-awareness and slowing down and tuning in and, and asking God to show us, you know, what it is that um, is going on inside of us. I can remember one time where there was a situation that was happening between a friendship, uh, well, two friendships that I had. So um, I was friends with both of these gals and I was really struggling in that friendship and I couldn't figure out why, like my emotions were kind of all over the place. And I remember just talking to the Lord about it, like, Lord, what's going on? What's going on here with me? And, um, I mean, it wasn't an audible voice, but it was like immediately what came to my mind is Jill, you are jealous. You are jealous. And, uh, because they were getting together and I was watching their children so they could get together. Okay. And then, and it was pricking something in me. And I was like, I'm, I was jealous. And now tying that into these R's, that jealousy was rejection. Mm-hmm. And what you were saying too about taking the time to stop and to consider, am I in one of the five R's that? Yeah, I have to slow down and take time to do that. And I will tell you what, Jill, it is a whole lot easier for me to judge you and what you're doing and what you should be doing compared to what you are doing than it is for me to stop, slow down and hold the mirror up to my face. And that's another one of the things that my daughters and I use a lot. One is what's the facts, you know, and it's like, oh yeah. And they usually do it for me. What's the facts, mom? Oh yeah, the facts are. The other one is, do you even own a mirror? And that came from <laughs> that came from us realizing that it is so easy for me to look at you or someone else and what they're doing and I've got this whole bunch of judgment around what they are doing realizing that, oh, great, as long as I'm looking at that other person, I don't have to hold the mirror up in front of my own face and look at all the places where I really could use some, you know, some attention between me and the Lord to get my own act together. And the truth is that judging somebody else is super easy because I'll just demand that you do something, you know, you're not gonna, and, and it's not fair if I do that to you, but it's a lot easier for me to demand that because quite honestly, fixing myself or paying attention to myself or doing the work that I need to do in myself. Mm -hmm. It's not easy because if it was, I wouldn't be 10 pounds overweight. I wouldn't be skipping my exercise days, you know, controlling myself and making myself be the way that I should be 
that's that's a whole lot harder. Once you get into the groove, it it's good. But initially, it's tough. Yeah. And you know what struck me as you were just saying that is that, you know, sometimes, um, again, I'm thinking marriages because we just do so much marriage mm-hmm. coaching and just kind of applying it to this. And sometimes, you know, I'll work with a spouse and they'll be like, I am looking in the mirror. I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I'm doing this and he's doing nothing and he's doing nothing and he's doing nothing. Nothing. And looking in the mirror isn't really about looking at our behavior. It's about looking at our heart. Yes. Isn't it, Peggy yes. Sue? Yes. I did a very dangerous thing one time and I asked God to show me my heart. And by the second mm. day, I said, God, stop, just stop. I had no idea that it would be as not good as what it was. And then it was like, oh, I do need a savior so badly, but it is a heart issue. It is. And that's what we're not nearly as self-aware of. I think that we are self, you know, we may be aware and knowledgeable of the things that we've been doing or the acts that we've been trying, but you know, especially in a relationship that's hard, like, you know, like, you know, thinking about your conversation with your daughter and, uh, you know, you could sit and look at that and go, I, I know what, you know, I looked at myself, I made her breakfast, I made her tea, I did all these things, but you, until you looked at the condition of your heart and you identified that rejection that you were feeling you really couldn't do anything about it that would be helpful for the relationship. You put that so beautifully. And it also reminds me of the times that I was living a lot as a codependent. And what's the motto of the codependent? I just want you to be happy. I'm just here for you. I just am doing all this for you until I realized that actually my codependent actions were a manipulation. I will do this for you so that then you will feel this way about me, or you will think this way about me, or you will engage with me in this way. And that was a big thing to realize, oh, when I'm acting like that, when I'm in that codependent mode, I'm actually being incredibly self-centered, not other-centered. Yes. Yes. But it's but it is uh, glazed over in what looks like to be all about the other person. All those pretty words that we say, all the pretty words we tell ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mark, Mark and I dealt with that in our uh, relationship, my husband and I, um, because he was very codependent. He grew up in a very unhealthy home, an unhealthy environment, a lot of codependency. And I could even feel it in our relationship. Like nothing that he did nice for me felt genuine because I always knew that it was so that I would do something back to him or for him. Mm-hmm. It it never was just the action in and of itself being for me. And so it always felt very skewed being on the other side of that codependent relationship. You just defined what so many of us sometimes never figure out, but it's that even if I can't put the words to why I'm pushing back on someone's actions towards me, I'm pushing back on it because it doesn't feel right. 
It's not genuine. And a lot of times as a codependent, I would get rejected from someone. They, they kept distancing themselves no matter how much I'm doing all these wonderful things for them. And so mm-hmm. then to finally come around to the place of realizing they're not rejecting me, they're rejecting my manipulation. And I'm so blind to my own manipulation that I'm not even seeing that, that what I'm doing is not genuine either. And so there's so many times where I would recommend to somebody, like people that have marriages, that they come talk to you, Jill, you and your husband and say, you know, we just need some extra eyes, some other wisdom poured into our relationship. What are we seeing? What am I not seeing? I need other voices in my life, yep. not just my own. And so I did go to, uh, um, I went and met with a, with a, a ther- not a therapist, she's a mentor. I met with a mentor for a very long time. And every so often, mm-hmm. my kids will go, it's time for you to go see your mentor again, mom. And I just take that as <laughs> I'm tweaked. And so I go every time, but I worked with her for about six months and I went in with all the normal stuff. I wanted to complain about, you know, my work and my coworkers and my neighbors and my kids and my ex and, you know, just life, the, you know, the, the presidency, the politicians, the hospitals, you name it. I had a beef with it. Yeah. And so we talked and talked and she'd work me through and I'd go out feeling better each time. And after six months, she said to me, So whenever you want to do some real serious work that's going to change your life, you let me know and we'll do that. And I said, oh, you mean me? And she said, honey, you're the one common denominator in all of our conversations. And so that was the beginning of, oh, I need to deal with my baggage. I need these voices. I need to get that mirror. I need to get my heart right with the Lord. I need to get out of the five R's, recognize them and get out of them so that I can have healthy relationships. And I think the best things that we do within our marriages, the best thing husband and wives do, the best thing parents do, the best thing we individuals do is to get that someone who comes alongside and helps us be all that we can be. Otherwise, all of our baggage comes out sideways and we leave it on our kids and our grandkids and they're going to have their own baggage to deal with. They don't need to carry mine. So sometimes I think the very best gift we give is to take care of ourselves and get healthy so that then we can be healthy with those that we love. Yes. And, and that can happen, like you said, through a mentoring relationship. It can happen through a coach, a coaching relationship, which both you and I do coaching. And it can happen through a, um, it can happen through counseling. And so those would be your ideal places to get other people speaking into your heart. Absolutely. And there's no shame in that. I know I grew up in a generation where it was considered shameful. Best thing I've ever done. And one of my daughters who lives far away in another state, after I had really dug in and really been doing some hard work each week with my mentor, she came down for Christmas, went to church, saw my mentor. After church, she grabs my mentor around the neck, hugs her really, really tight and says into her ear, thank you for giving us our mother back. Oh, oh, what a beautiful. Yeah, it's the best, the best. Beautiful gift. I love that. Wow. Oh, this has been such a good conversation. Now you said that you actually have a article online about the five R's. So I will make sure that that is in our show notes. And you said there's a whole chapter 
you have a brand new book out for single moms. Um, and there's a whole chapter in that. So you obviously you're a single mom yourself. You have a real passion for single moms. Uh, before we bring things to a close here, just for a moment, let's talk about, uh, single moms and, uh, that new book that you have out. What, what, what's the title of that? The title of the book is The 10 Best Decisions a Single Mom Can Make. And I co-authored with Pam Farrell, who a lot of people know. Pam was, uh, her mother was a single mom and Pam and Bill have gone on to have a great relationship and to be mentoring other people in their relationships. And so I wanted her to be my co-author because she's the hope. Just because you've maybe grown up in a single parent home or because you're a single parent doesn't mean that it's anything more than, than an experience. It is not your identity. And so we mm-hmm. took a look that there is one in four homes is single mom led right now, 50%, Jill, 50% of the kids in the U.S. will live in a single parent home before age 18. And wow. 85% of those moms and their children do not attend church. So they don't have that support group there for them. So that's why we wrote the 10 best decisions a single mom can make. And I've had so many people read the book and say, I'm not a single mom, but the parenting stuff in there is so good. And that's because Pam and I both (laughs) took all of our best parenting tips and put them in that book. There's none of the stuff that doesn't work. It's just all the stuff that does work. And you can find that, Uh, of course, anywhere you find books, um, the 10 best decisions a single mom can make. And to keep the conversation going for the moms, because you don't want to just close that mm -hmm. book and be on your own, you can find us at singlemomcircle.com. And there's just tons of free resources for moms and their kids to help them be successful. We'd love to interact with you there. And again, it keeps the conversation going. Oh, I love that. Singlemomcircle.com. Yep. And then you have a website as well. I What's do. your website? Just my name, PeggySueWells.com. And I would love to have you stop by there anytime and send a message. Yeah. Oh, this has been so rich. Thank you, Peggy Sue. Would you be willing to close in prayer and just pray for those that are listening and their relationships? Thank you for the opportunity, Lord God. Oh, thank you that you are a good God and that you call us to be in relationship with you and that you made it simple to be in relationship with you because you said those that that believe in our hearts that you were raised from the dead and that say that Jesus is Lord, that we are saved and that we have that eternal relationship Mm -hmm. with you. And so Father God, thank you for making it simple because I need simple. And Lord, thank you, Lord, that the things that you want are so simple from us. Love you and love others. And Father God, part of loving others is in our relationships with them. And so we ask, Lord God, that you would continue to show us those times that maybe we'd fall into the five R's and Lord, that you would also show us how to get out of them quickly. Show us how to love genuinely. Help us to find our identity in you. And Father God, we ask that you would strengthen relationships that are in us and around us and through us for your glory. In Jesus' holy name, bless Jill and her ministry too. We thank you. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining me today on the No More Perfect Podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe and follow so that you don't miss any future conversations. We also want you to know that we have three free eBooks for you. You can find them at jillsavage.org slash free. You can also find the show notes and links to anything we talked about over at jillsavage.org slash podcast. 
See you next week for another not perfect, but very important conversation about the real stuff of life.